I pictured us only doing whiskey. Like I thought we were just gonna be whiskey heavy. We might come out with a couple, two or three like fun, you know, one-off spirits just to get until we have like aged whiskey, brown whiskey. The gin and the Akavit coming out as like kind of the front runners of a lot of, you know, our line um, was a surprise to me. And it's an absolutely wonderful surprise because I actually love making them so much. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program, it's not normal. That's the motto of Munster, Indiana-based Three Floyds. From her earliest days there as a brewer, Abby Titcomb was fascinated by distilling. So when the company launched a distillery in 2017, Abby jumped at the chance to become head distiller of Three Floyds Distilling Company. The distillery's lineup includes whiskey, rum, aquavit, and gin, including White Witch Midwestern Gin, which claimed best of gin at ACSA's 2020 Judging of Craft Spirits competition. Editor-in-Chief Jeff Cialetti spoke to Abby via Zoom in February. Since the distillery's tasting room remains closed, Jeff started out by asking Abby if that had given her more freedom to experiment in the distillery. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I thought I would be the opposite, um, but I actually, not having the, the um, extra, hmm, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but um, yeah, I mean, it really has kind of loosened up my schedule. Um, not necessarily that like I'm not busy because I'm swamped, but um, yeah, I can focus on different things. I can focus on, you know, experimenting more, um, you know, new brands, new recipes, um, and some of these big projects that I really wanted to get going earlier, you know, have kind of stepped up, which is great. Um, so from that aspect, it's very, it's, it's working out for me. <laughs> um, uh, anything that you can talk about that you've been experimenting with that's not ready for prime time, but you can talk about it. Mm, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, not nothing that I can talk about right now. We do have like, a huge, huge project we're working on that will be coming out um, this year that I'm just absolutely stoked on. Um, but I have to give you that annoying answer that I can't talk about it right now. Um, and th- that's just kind of three Floyds too. We don't talk about anything. Like yeah. we, we just do things, you know, and then just kind of like drop it on you. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's like new, new, you know, could I mean, you say whether it's in a new, is it a new category or you can't even say that? I'm not gonna. I can't even say uh, that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's like he's gonna be mad at me. I'm not gonna have. Like, it's fine. I'm just. <laughs> um, that's yeah, not I mean, the purpose you know, of this anyway. So just <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, getting all like the juicy secrets. Um, no, I mean you know we're still working on whiskeys. Um, they're aging away beautifully. Um, I did get some really beautiful, delicious uh, like dessert wine barrels in um, that I can't wait to fill. Um, they're just hydrating right now and. Um, getting those all swelled up so they can hold product. Um, maybe throwing like an Akavit in that. Um, I'm really getting into, I'm really trying to like pare down um, and perfect rum because that was like kind of the lowest on my list. Not, I mean, no disrespect to the spirit or anything. I just didn't know a whole hell of a lot about it. Um, and, you know, when you're coming from a brewer side, um, fermenting sugars is like just straight sugar is just such a bully. It's just it really wrecks your yeast and mastering that has been a real lesson, which is, I mean, I'm learning all the time, which is amazing. Um, But so that's kind of my goal for this year too, is to really like hone in on like getting some um, really fun and good 
with rum because I feel like even though it's such like a simple quote unquote as far as like complexity of recipe maybe it's a little more on the simple side but um the sugar is like it, that is your bully for sure you have to rein that in and get those fermentations right to even you know have a good distillate so um that's kind of what I really want to I hate the word master I hate that like I don't call myself a master distiller like I just that is not <laughs> my thing yeah like I just feel like well ha, ha, you can't be a master of anything I mean like how are you not learning all the time like I'm a ma I'm barely a master at like breathing you know like keeping myself <laughs> alive like I'm not a master you know I'm, I'm learning all the time um so that's just kind of what I've been playing with um this year so far I mean it's only February but it's also already February which is insane um, yeah yeah I so. mean, yeah this has been going on a year <laughs> it's just hard to believe it's like it's like the longest longest shortest year if that makes sense you know yeah yeah well so just, just remember that. how march was march seemed like it was never going to end and then yeah and then suddenly everything after that was like wow how was it christmas already and we're like yeah and nothing's really changed <laughs> yep yeah exactly oh god <laughs> yeah so um let's let's sort of go back a bit um you know talk about your you've done this a million times but for the sakes of the podcast you know you came from the brewing side you started at three floyds as a brewer um you got into distilling so how like how did that journey kind of play out for you and was it something you would have ever expected sure um so so yes uh so i started i really got into craft beer so we'll, we'll kind of like go backwards a little bit so um i got into craft beer because I was a bartender and I was bartending to get myself through art school. And so like the creativity part was always there. I always wanted to like make something, create something. You know, I didn't, I was not like a nine to five type of person. Um, I didn't want just a job. I wanted something that like I could really, you know, make like a career and like have some purpose and um, that would like fulfill me in other ways than just like giving me money. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where that kind of came from. So bartender, fell in love with craft beer. Um, and then got into brewing, went, went to brewing school, got into brewing, um, in 2011, I got hired at Floyd's in 2010 and then officially a brewer, like first week of January, 2011. Um, yeah, brewer for five and a half years, started R and D for the distillery in 2016. And here we are. Um, and do you want me to talk about like kind of some trend, like how that transition was from like brewer to distillery? Yeah, yeah. I'm always, yeah, okay. I'm always curious to hear that because. Um... Sure. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I prefer distilling. There's just a little more organic process to like the recipe development. Um, that, that isn't to say that you can't experiment in beer because you absolutely can, but you can be a little looser on the distilling side, I guess. Um, you know, beer is so, and you're, you're working with yeast, you're working with, you know, things that have to be like medically clean. And um, the margin of human error is wide in, in brewing and distilling, it slims down, you know, significantly, um, which is kind of a plus. Um, Would you say that, that spirits can be more forgiving in that regard? Yeah, that's beer? a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a good way to put it. Um, but so I was just a brewer for so long, you know, I mean, five years isn't terribly long, but still, you know, you're doing it every day. Um, and it was such a, a, a change for me coming from like bartending, like you really have to like change the way that your brain processes things and like just your whole, like it, it switched to like mechanical thinking. 
And um, that was a really hard, hard adjustment. But once I got it, like I loved it, I was stuck in it. And then um, when I went to distilling, I had to let go of that control a little bit. And that was actually like my biggest challenge from going from brewing to distilling. So like, for an example, like in the very, very beginning, I could not understand why I couldn't hold the temperature of my pot, my pot still, at like 174.4 or whatever ethanol boils off at, it's 174 something. Um, I'm like, well, why can't I just hold it that the whole time? Why can't I just have a whole heart's run? Like, why, why can't I just control that? Why can't I control, you know, all of these temperatures? And um, they're like, it's just not that, that's not how it works. I mean, it's not, that's how the science of it is. You know, it's like these different alcohols and different compounds boil off at different temperatures, which I knew, but like, I still just, I couldn't wrap my head around, like, just stop touching it. Just let it do its thing. Um, and relinquishing that control was um, probably the biggest um, challenge for me. And then two, um, writing recipes, especially when it came to like botanical spirits. Um, I thought that would be super fun and it absolutely is. But having, um, there's like, you know, I, I read interviews and you know articles about like artists and stuff and they say that like limitations and some some of them not all of them obviously but some of them are like you know limitations actually like really help creativity and when you have too many possibilities it's like you don't know where to start mm. um and that's kind of where i was it's like okay well i can make a gin and juniper has to have or juniper has to be in gin but it's pretty open everything else and i'm like well man like there aren't really any like guide rails and like to create my own to create my own guardrails was like, I mean, it was cool, but also like it was super scary. I'm mm. like, I, I mean, I'm just going to wing it and, you know, hopefully it works. I, I know that I have a good palette and I know what works together. And uh, yeah, um, it was a challenge, but very, very exciting. I, I still love that part, obviously. And, um, you know, so, so you came from a bartending background. So the, the current state of the on premise right now must be really hitting home with you. I mean, this was yeah. your world. Yeah. Um, and to, so we just started distributing in the Chicagoland area um, in June of 2020. Like, who the hell launches in the middle of a pandemic? We do. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I, I did personally. I I have mixed feelings about asking because we're we're a premium product too. We're boutique boutique distillery or whatever you want to call it, you know, craft, obviously, but everything's small batch and it's, we're, we're at a premium price point. And I had, and still do a little, I have some reservations about asking like on premise, like, Hey, you want to bring on this, like, you know, it's a really awesome gin, but it might not be like your most friendly price point. Um, you know, bring it on. Like, I, I can't, I, I have mixed feelings about like selling to mm. businesses that are already struggling. You know what I mean? It's like, and asking them to spend more money. Um, I mean, that's like, that's my family. You know, it's like, I was in that, I still consider myself in the industry. Um, and those are all my friends. Those are like everyone I know and they're, everyone is struggling and like so many people are going to close and have lost their jobs and there's no support. And going in and just being like, hey, buy some more shit. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to do everything I possibly can and everything that we possibly can to support. I mean, these people um, that are, are lifeblood, I mean, they really are. We, we couldn't be where we are without 
bars and restaurants, I mean, that's just a fact. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's in that part, even just thinking about that and like, it just makes me so sad and exhausted, uh, that just so many people and these like beacons of like gathering and like getting together with your friends and your loved ones and like all these places that they're not just bars and restaurants like these are seriously where we like live our lives and like have like most of the best memories I mean just you know me personally I guess and it's just um you you get so used to it that once it's all like gone it's like oh shit like that's I, I don't know it's maybe I'm rambling but um no no I know what you're saying yeah yeah yeah, it's just, it's, it sucks all around. Well, there's also um, one of the things that that's kind of really uh, sort of made itself apparent during this whole thing was definitely um, alcohol seems to still get the shaft as far as um, what any sort of biases that like government officials may have or whatever, like a lot, like a lot of cities are passing. Okay. Well, you have to buy food. If you're going to be open, if you just sell alcohol, you know, you have to close and it's, it's like, what, what, wait, you know, it's, it's kind of like, yeah. Why, right. why are you re-stigmatizing, you know, alcohol is a part of life. It's a, and that's sort of, and I know that you're trying to keep down, congregating and stuff like that but even if like a, a, some bars were even being kept from being open if they were doing to go only in the places that are allowing like to go cocktails and whatever they're still making them closed if they don't have any food to go with it and i think that's kind of silly they can't even sell to go oh that well some places point? some places yeah I, it depends on the state but i've heard of a couple sure. people who are like well uh we couldn't do it without food so we'd like throw in a bag of peanuts or cheetos or something <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Oh my God. Well, I know all about that. Um, yeah, we actually, I mean, not to derail the conversation, but I, we know all about that because Indiana, um, when we were op trying to open our tasting room, they have um, regulations and like you have to have food if you're selling alcohol and we don't have room for a kitchen over here. So we're like, how do we solve this issue? How do we solve this problem? Um, and we went through a lot, a lot of um, ideas, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But we have to have, by law, by Indiana state law, we have to have uh, um, coffee, tea, sure, fine. Uh, some sort of like sandwich. It has to be like a bread meat combo thing or like something that's like substantial, but like mm -hmm. that's what they say, like you have to have a sandwich and you have to have milk <laughs> and you have to have soup. It's just the oddest. It's just the weirdest thing. I'm just like, what? what? I do not understand. Sounds um, like a school lunch. <laughs> yeah, it was. And like, we have to have those things if we want to sell alcohol. And then also, you know, if we want to allow children in our tasting room, we have to have a partition um, where between uh, like where the alcohol is being served and where the kids can sit. And so it's just one big square room. I'm, po I'm pointing like you can see it, but it's like right over here. <laughs> um, but it's just one big square room and um, there's no room for a partition. So we're 21 plus too. We, we don't, we unfortunately cannot allow kids in our tasting room. Um, but yeah, we, we went, had to go through like the, we, we couldn't just serve alcohol. We had to get these weird ass requirements for food. Um, you know, so our soup was like a uh, cup of noodles. It's <laughs> like, well, it's, it's here. It's not on the menu, but it's here. Um, and you know, coffee and tea, that's fine. Whatever. You can put whiskey and coffee. Sure. Um, that's a cocktail, right? Um, and then our food was, um, uh, like meat pies, like little, like hand pies. 
um, which like, yeah, that, that works. That's breading and filling. Great. Awesome. Good drinking food. <laughs> and, um, you know, as far as um, anything that you've discovered that you've been distilling, um, has there any, has there been any um, spirits category? You mentioned rum and, you know, working with those, those sugars, but is there any category that surprised you as far as you're enjoying it more than you thought you would? I thought that even from the beginning and like stemming from our, my conversations, you know, with Nick about how we're going to build this out. I thought I pictured us only doing whiskey. Like I thought we were just going to be whiskey heavy. We might come out with a couple, two or three, like fun, you know, one-off spirits just to get until we have like aged whiskey, brown whiskey. Um, so the gin and the Akavit coming out as like kind of the front runners of a lot of, you know, our line um, was a surprise to me and it's an absolutely wonderful surprise because I actually love making them so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I, I did not see that coming, I guess. And the way that we've definitely just changed um, how we envision our, uh, our distillery and going forward and what that means for, you know, the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, whatever. I mean, it's just, it's always evolving, but uh, that surprised me for sure about how much I liked it. And what are some of the most unique botanicals you've used in your gin? Ooh, great question. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to figure out some, oh, let me see, unique. I mean, the what? so the What's white What's something witch. that actually didn't work that you thought would work even, or, or something along great. those lines? That's actually, that's a great question. So things that I didn't think would distill out great, uh, mint, like fresh mint. Hmm. Um, if you put it in uh, your botanical basket, it just kind of cooks and it's really gross and it comes off. It gave me like a blue cheese weirdness. Mm. Same with basil. Basil was the same. Um, like these green, like leafy herbs. Um, it was just the oddest thing. And then uh, lavender didn't distill out the way that I thought it was going to. Again, just kind of some weird like vegetal, um, oh. not nearly as floral as I thought it was going to be. Um, and then what was the other one? Um, crap what was the other one hibiscus uh which turned out lovely um it just it smells it was dried hibiscus petals um and they smell kind of, i mean great but there's a weird like funk to them in the back we're like what is gonna happen there um and then it distills out this kind of really beautiful floral um perfumey and i'm trying to figure out how i work and also like if you steep you know hibiscus in anything um that really beautiful like fuchsia color I'm like, what, how can we use this in some way? Um, so I'm really playing around with florals because they, some of them do not <laughs> distill out the way that you think they would. And you, you've done some work with, I know you've done some work with tea too. Mm -hmm. um, like how, have you done anything more with that? Have you discovered anything new related to that? Not really. Um, I, you know, I was trying for like a, like a smoked tea or like a black tea. Um, and I'm, I'm still playing with it um, because those proportions, getting those proportions right, um, especially with something as heavy as like lapsing um, tea or anything like that is, uh, it's overpowering. So that's going to be the, like the only thing that you taste or smell. So still, still working on that part. Um, and then also like the process in which how, like how they make tea, dry tea and all of that, um, which is interesting to me, but that has put on kind of been kind of put on a back burner a little bit. Um, yeah, tea is, uh, again, a little more difficult than you would think it would be. After a break, more from our conversation with Abby Titcomb. 
This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, it's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small, independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. To kick off the second part of the program, Jeff asked Abby what she sees as the biggest challenges facing the spirits industry other than the pandemic. From a financial standpoint or like, you know, from a sales standpoint or whatever, it's pretty clear that some other categories are like really like ramping up um, like RTDs and seltzers. I mean, those are going to be overtaking the market. So that's that is just like category competition, um, Mm -hmm. if we're just speaking plainly. and then uh, the, non- the non-alcoholic spirits, which I think are amazing. I mean, I know so many people that just don't drink at all. And like, they still deserve to like, well, when you can go out, have a good time or, you know, have a cocktail at home um, that isn't just like, you know, a soda or whatever. Um, I think that's incredibly interesting um, and might be, might be a challenge. Uh, you know, there's all these reports about how, um, you know, well, I don't know if it's millennials. I guess I'm a millennial. Gen Z, you know, and like these younger generations, like they're they're not really drinking that much. And, um, you know, there's like worrying reports coming out of the stock market, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm not worried. Like, I'm not going to push. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's a um, <laughs> that would be a challenge, I guess. But I well, they, I'm like, not... they like headlines. I mean, I think that the, the headlines, the stories are a little more complicated than right have you believe i mean this has been uh, to the point where it's a cliche now they've been saying they said this with beer they said this with everything um you know people are drinking less but they're drinking better the the drinking better part is not necessarily going getting through to a lot of the mainstream media i think yeah like yeah like yes they're not binging but they are spending a greater amount of their um, their disposable income on better spirits exactly. and better beer and everything else and that that money's going to go to the craft sector and but they but I think when you're talking about whether it's the Wall Street Journal journal or whoever it's doing a story they tend to sort of neglect the nuances there and they just see everything exactly. as a big monolith and it's similar with you know if you've been seeing the um, the industry reports that have been coming out um, you know, looking at the, there's just the raw numbers. I mean, spirits had a banner year last year because, um, the overall categories were up, you know, almost 6% in volume and almost 8% in revenue. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, wonderful. You know, but at the same time, it's like, well, that's great for Diageo, you know, because they're, yeah, exactly. Exa- that's where that kind of was going to go. It's like, and then, you know, these big guys are coming out and, I, I am still, you know, my, my brain is a little more still trained to like big beer buying up little beer. Um, and I know that in distilling, you know, in craft distilling, it, it's similar, but it's different. Um, 
yeah and so like these big guys are like oh well, let's just do what the little guys are doing now you know or like they're they're buying up brands and um which is fine but you know uh yeah and like getting back to like the nuance part of what you were talking about it's like especially i think like the younger generation and then that's influencing older generations too like they're just more thoughtful they seem to be more thoughtful about everything like make it count make it matter if you're going to spend your money on something like make sure it what whether it's you know an alcohol or like a new wallet or something it's like make sure that it's worth your money because i mean you know and we can get into economics too which i'm not i am no expert but you know it's like the the cost of living is going up and um you know minimum wage has stayed the same and it's like well you know you're spending your hard earned money on things you might as well you know spend the money on something that's like well made that's worth it that you know you're going to get your your worth out of i guess um so, and that goes, and which, which I love that, like the, and that's where the non-alcoholic spirits come in too, where it's like, yeah, well, you know, I still want to have a, a good time. I still want to enjoy myself. It's all about like enjoyment, right. And like tasting things and um, just, yeah, I, again, they're just like, they're not just going to want like a Coke or a Pepsi or whatever. They're going to want something that's like just as complex as what their friends are drinking. Um, but they just want the alcohol. It's not just about like binge drinking and being sober. It's just, yeah, if that makes sense. Do you also think, um, do you think legal weed is cutting into the market at all? Maybe. Um, it's hard to say. Uh, I, for one, am very excited about legal weed. <laughs> yeah, no, as most people are. I'm, I'm just saying as someone, you know, whose livelihood depends on alcohol, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's, that's a hard thing to answer only because I just don't see things that way. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, um, I, I don't look at things that way. I don't look at like, oh, well, it's competition even, and this is not bullshit. Like, honestly, you know, when people ask like, well, you know, what are the other distilleries doing around? Um, are you worried about like, you know, them getting more, more cred or more, more visibility? Um, like other Indiana distilleries, other Chicago distilleries or whatever, like, what are they doing? And are you worried that that's your competition? I'm like, I literally don't think that way. I just don't see them as competition. We're all that. And that isn't like some unifying message. Like I just, my brain doesn't work that way. I do not see things that way at all. Well, that's, that's the other thing too, is like, I, whenever someone brings that question up to me, um, I'm always like, well, have you met a distiller? I mean, I'm sure you're not going to find a distiller who's not happy about legal weed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, tight like let's do it i i'm not i don't i'm not worried about it i guess in that sense maybe i should be i'm just i'm not no i think i think they've always coexisted that's the thing it's yeah like, i don't think I, I i personally and again this is based on nothing other than my own opinion i think that <laughs> the cannabis market is is going to be a bubble right now because everyone yeah. there's so much over investment going on in it and i don't think you're going to convert that many new weed smokers or you know even edibles because exactly. like everyone who is into weed has been into weed and just exactly. now they don't have to hide it you know that's basically the difference so it's like you're totally right yeah you're that's a much better answer than mine yes it totally makes sense yeah you know it's like sometimes i feel like these these stories about um people you know, drinking less, like millennials drinking less or whatever, and Gen Z drinking less. I, I think a lot of those are commissioned by the cannabis industry because Ooh. Oh. my conspiracy theory. No, because actually there's this whole notion 
have you heard this term California sober? Does that just mean you don't drink, but you're high as hell all the time? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it means. That's California sober. And this is yeah. like something that like I see, cause I, I get a lot of press releases now from, from, you know, especially when we were, when it was, um, dry January, you know, everyone thinks I'm going to write about that. And they're always sending me press releases like, well, like whether you're sober or California sober. And it's just, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I've never heard that, but like, it's a no brainer, I guess. <laughs> they're trying to make it a thing. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But you yeah. know, and I, and I think part of the, that, that was one of my, the only real issue I had with um, the push for cannabis legalization was I felt like the people lobbying for it were throwing the baby out with the bathwater in a sense because they were almost attacking alcohol as you know like oh well weed's healthier than alcohol yada 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 and it's like yeah well come on don't don't pit Those one are, industry against each other you know well, they yeah right they're two different different occasions and it's just like and and this is going to come back and bite you in the ass at some point. So it's like exactly like those are two completely different things. It's like if you want to, you know, have competition between anything, like go after cigarettes. Why would you go after alcohol? Like I don't. Okay, no, not into it. <laughs> <laughs> Super into weed though. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think it's just a matter of if you know. It, it, I think that that it's also neglecting the reasons why people drink it's not just intoxication and you know right yeah so it's especially you know the way i drink now personally it's like you know i'm i'm just tasting and i'm savoring and you know i might only get through one drink at a sitting you know and it's just kind of like that and i'm perfectly fine with that because i just spent twenty dollars on a glass of whiskey you know (laughs) yeah exactly again get your money's worth it's like make sure it's worth it so yeah so it's like I I think that that that's what it is and it's like there's no I mean I don't know um if you're gonna you know is there a sort of a connoisseurship in the weed world I don't know that would be cool I that would be I think that'd be awesome Uh, and I think I totally think that we're gonna get I think we're already getting there I mean some of the dispensaries that like I went to in um Vegas whenever like when did they legalize two three years ago something like that um <laughs> no I'm just gonna go off on a tangent that's but, fine I like uh, these tangents this is this podcast is all about tangents so perfect good great um so I think it was the it was the first year that weed was legalized in Vegas and there is a doom metal fest that goes on it's called psycho fest and it's held it used to be held at the hard rock in Vegas and now they moved it to Mandalay Bay but I've I've been going every year um missing it last year was obviously heartbreaking and this year i I I don't know what this year brings, but it was um it was the first year that weed was legalized. It was a doom metal, doom and stoner metal fest. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure if you know much about metal, but it was just all of it was ten thousand, twelve thousand, however many it was, just stoner metal people descending on Vegas, and all of the the dispensaries sold out in the first day. Like they had nothing left it's like how do you not prepare for this (laughs) (laughs) it's like these are just ten thousand stoners coming here and it's legal and like they were just the shelves were empty um but some of those but getting back to like the connoisseurship it's like some of those dispensaries that like we checked out there's one that looks like a legit like 
old school apothecary. It was wild. It's like, so I think the weed connoisseurship is already happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'd be super fun. I think that would be awesome. Cause like, again, it's like, you're going to spend your hard money. It ha- it can't just be swag. It's gotta be good. It's gotta like, you gotta taste the flavors of whatever those wacky ass names are, you know, lemon cake and berry, berry, berry or whatever. <laughs> Captain Crunch. That's a, that's a cereal. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. You, I think that would be super fun. Would you ever distill with weed as a botanical? I think it'd be really gross. Um, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I'm not against it. I, I've tried some of those um, like CBD waters. I always mm-hmm. thought they were bullshit, but um, they, they're great. There's this brand called uh, Recess, I think. Um, and I just got like a little like trial pack from like this little um, boutique or not boutique, uh, this little like tiny store front, whatever. And um, I'm like, yeah, CBD. I don't know if it's like, I've never actually tried CBD before. It's just always been weed. Um, and I'm like, oh, this is really nice. It was just like, it just kind of puts you in like a really nice chill with like, out. it takes the edge off a little bit without feeling like high, I guess. Um, so that might be an intro to weed distilling, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking of, I mean, think about how weed tastes and smells like distilling out is not going to be great, probably, but you never know. I mean, I don't well, know. It could be the opposite of like what happened with, with the mint and the. Exactly. Maybe it's like magical. Yeah. Um, I guess I can't say that I'm going to do it because I'm making it in a state that it's not legal in. <laughs> so, and in and Indiana of all states, like, you know, no hate, but Indiana knows who they are. So uh, I'm not, I, we'll, we'll see how long it takes to get legalized in Indiana. I'm not sure that it would happen. And um, you had, you had mentioned, um, you know, non-alks and RTDs. Would do you ever consider doing a non-alk spirit? I would. Um, I, so I've actually looked into the process a lot um, and it's wild. Um, I still don't necessarily know how it works. I know that like there's some vacuum distillation that happens um, and we just do not, that is incredibly well one expensive we don't have the room for it whatever but um it's i've definitely it's not out of their own possibility um it's just not it can't happen right now just for obvious reasons but yeah I'm, i'd be into that what about uh rtd cocktails any plans for that uh i'd be way into that yeah, yeah. yes I, I i completely understand why they exist there's i've tried a lot of them <laughs> um i can't say a lot of them are winners um it's a bummer because like god there's so much potential here this would be so cool um but uh yeah i would absolutely do an rtd but what do you what do you think the problem is with with some of like what what's the challenge of getting it right because if like so many of you as you say aren't winners like what do you think they're doing wrong um it just to to me it's it's a it's a taste and palate thing so it's um well it just tastes like artificial shit, but it doesn't taste like a cocktail to me, like that you would get in like an actual cocktail bar. And that's the kind of cocktail I want to drink, you know, uh, unless I'm, you know, again, like in Vegas on day three and can't stand the taste of alcohol anymore and just want like a vodka soda and that's it. It's hard to fuck up a vodka soda, right? But like you're spending so much money on like a to-go cocktail, you want a bar caliber cocktail. And they're not like a lot of them are, are not that caliber in my opinion. Um, they just don't taste great. 
and they don't, I don't know if they use like the best ingredients and they just kind of taste like artificial. It's the artificial flavoring stuff for me that just like kills it. I think that the challenge too is the average consumer doesn't know the difference between a spirit based ready to drink cocktail and a hard cider, a high hard seltzer. Seltzer. Yeah. Um, And, you know, people in the industry do, but I I honestly, 90% of the people drinking it, especially the hard seltzers, they probably think that there's actually a spirit and they're not realizing it's, it's mall. And like how, I mean, if you're just going to do say like a vodka soda, like, you know, might as well just do a, a seltzer, a seltzer because it's, you know, <laughs> regulatorily it's cheaper and it's just, you know. Yeah. And that, that's a good point, actually. Like the consumer education, I think is incredibly important. And we've talked about that since day one, especially in our tasting room. And especially coming out with spirits like Aquavit, where people in the state maybe aren't that familiar with Aquavit, like people in the industry are, but you know, your average consumer, again, is like, what the hell is Aquavit? Like, I've never heard of that before. Um, so yeah, I guess it's, it isn't all, you know, the consumer's fault. They don't know the difference because they haven't, like, it's just not that clear because it's not. Um, I mean, even some of these like report, you know, like all these mailing lists and reports I get and stuff, it's like, even differentiating between the seltzers and the, R- the RTDs, like they seem to get it wrong too. It's like, does anyone, does no one know what the difference is? I don't know. I don't get it. Um, yeah. Consumer education is my point. <laughs> Very important. And, and you, you mentioned the Akavi. I mean, you know, a growing number of distillers are doing it here, but it's mm-hmm. still sort of a niche within a niche. Um, like yes. how how are people sort of discovering yours and, and like how are you sort of explaining to them what it actually is and how it's different than say gin? Sure. Um so well one, this is where on premise would really help us because if we could get it in a cocktail on a menu and bartenders are psyched about it, like that is the best marketing tool, the best education tool. Um, especially in a city like Chicago, we are so spoiled for food and drink. I mean, I talk about it all the time. It's like, I don't know if I could live anywhere else. Like Chicago just rules so much for that. Um, It's just a passionate like service industry, service community. Um, They're amazing. Um, So that would be number one, but we don't have that. So like it it is, I have brought it to like, there's a distillers fest in Indiana. And then I brought it to a couple like tastings and stuff. Um, it is just all about like, again, teaching what it is. And the Akavit is the great polarizer of our whole lineup. People either love it or hate it. Um, because it is just, it's kind of wacky. I mean, it's, it's got the caraway seed, it's got the dill, it's bright green. Um, it's got like some of those residual oils in it. So it's like, it's just really turned up to 11, I guess. I feel like I say that too much, but, um, people either love it or hate it. Mostly people are like, oh yeah, that's really cool. I, I can work that into, um, you know, any other cocktail that would use like, I don't know, chartreuse or something. It's got like a similar palette, not the same, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just drive. It's just repeating myself over and over and over again and teaching people what it is, honestly. And that's fine. That's just what you gotta do. And um, is there anything you would say um that you've learned in the past year that you were surprised to learn anything that the pandemic has taught you anything that working in the pandemic has taught you or just in general anything new that you picked up because you know you're constantly learning 
Wow. Uh, that is a great question. That's going to be hard to answer because there's so many things that maybe I can't even like describe, you know? Um, Give me a few. <laughs> um, oh my God. What have I learned in the last year? Um, I mean, learned what resiliency is. I've learned how I react in a literal global crisis. Um, and how everyone reacts. And um, I mean, it, it gets a little, ooh, I'm trying not to go negative here, but I mean, especially, you know, we've seen our political climate too, and what mm -hmm. this country, how this pandemic has been politicized. It's oh, like, God, yeah. it's just such a disappointment. For the most part, it is so disappointing, like how little people care about each other. And like, it, it's, the, it's, I, I'm speechless. Like I can't even, it, it's so disheartening isn't even the word. Um, I don't know if devastating is the word, but it's just like, like we, so I'll kind of go, to, I'll tie us in the distillery. So when the pandemic hit, um, the, we shut our tasting room and our brew pub down. I think like March 13th ish. It was like that weekend that like, it really just kind of all blew up. Um, and we just made the call for like, we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea what's going on. We're just going to shut down until we know, have more information. And then I think like a week later, you know, there were shortages of like of hand sanitizer. I mean, that was it. And I started looking up hand sanitizer and like, what's in it. I'm like, well, that's just like, that's just high proof alcohol and like some sort of like humectant to like not dry out your skin. Like we can do that. And so I just started making it and I'm like, well, like we have this still, I feel like a jerk asking people like hey buy some alcohol right now because like everyone's freaking the fuck out like i'm not gonna try and like hard sell them booze right now i need to do something to help um and we have this equipment and we have this capacity so we just started cranking out hand sanitizer like that and um it's just what you do i don't know like I, people are like why why did you what made you do that i'm like that's just what you do in a crisis you just whatever you can to help you just do that thing um and then I started reaching out to, I have a lot of friends that are, um, uh, you know, first responders, um, EMTs, firefighters, and then like a lot of hospital workers, a lot of healthcare workers. Um, and so I just started reaching out to all of them at first. So I'm like, hey, I make it some hand sanitizer. You know, I think we're, we're looking at, you know, like the legal part of it, the FDA, whatever. I'm pretty sure they're going to just be okay with us doing this, but I just want to make sure you guys have enough right now. Do you need some? And everyone said yes, of course. Um, and then that started this whole thing um, where we, we donated, I mean, God, 650 gallons or something like that to, you know, first responders, healthcare workers, like funeral homes, um, uh, like rehab facilities and all that. Um, so, I mean, I, that is a long answer to that question, but um, that's what I learned is like how I personally react in a crisis, which I was pleasantly surprised by. Not surprised, but you know, this is who has dealt with something like this before. Um, and the amount of people in our industry that stepped up to make hand sanitizer and just like, hey, we can help, let's just do it, um, is amazing to me and like, you know, makes me teary eyed. Um, and then this is horrible, but I find it a little funny. It's like people that really try and like take advantage of the crisis are like, are just awful. Like, yeah. um, I started getting marketing emails about um, plastic bottles because everyone was running out of plastic bottles at that point because everyone was thinking hand sanitizer. 
and the prices, the price gouging on like the materials that you need to make hand sanitizer was astounding. I'm like, how can people think that it is okay to <laughs> profit off of this literal global crisis? Um, it just made me ill. <laughs> and um, I won't name companies. I won't shout anybody out, but uh, it was disgusting to me. So that it, it, there's since that weekend in March, I feel like, you know, of course we've learned a million things about ourselves, but there's been no like steady feelings. It's always been like super high, like, hey, the Stilling community came together. We helped who we could, you know, we made this hand sanitizer super low. People profiting off of a crisis, super high. It's just been like this the whole time. And it's just absolutely um, emotionally exhausting. But um, yeah, I, I'm proud of how we handled it. I'm proud of what we did. And uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then also the, I, I've learned that people drink whether they're celebrating or they're commiserating like we all are doing right now. Everyone drinks like, well, not everyone, but you know, people drink in all sorts of situations. So, yeah. So, so what's your go-to? What's in your glass usually these days? Mm, um, this week, this week, <laughs> I've been really into like just good gin and tonic. Um, it's just keeping it super simple. Um, oh boy. I'm still trying out some RTDs cause I'm just, I'm so curious about them. Um, and then usually it's just like a pour of whiskey, honestly, and like a, a chuggable, like crushable beer. that's like dry, sparkly, you know, maybe not super happy at this, at this point, because again, we're pre-floids, we're brewers of like ridiculously hopped beers. You can only have so many hundred IBU beers in your lifetime <laughs> where like your palate is just shot. Um, yeah, it's usually just like crushable lawnmower beer and like a pour of whiskey or a gin and tonic. Simple. That's our program for today. Thanks again to Abby Titcomb for joining us. You can learn more about Three Floyds at threefloydsdistilling.com. And in case you missed it last year, Jeff wrote a fantastic cover story about gin, which featured some thoughts from Abby. You can find that on our website at craftspiritsmag.com archives. We'll be back in a few weeks. Until then, thanks for listening, and cheers. Cheers.